Webster's Dictionary defines compliance as the action or fact of complying with a wish or command. This is the Compliance Guy. The Compliance Guy. As a healthcare provider or healthcare professional, navigating the muddy waters of compliance can get tricky. And that's why we're here. Helping you mitigate risk while increasing your profitability. This is the Compliance Guy. Now, here's your host, Sean Weiss. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Daily Dose on the Compliance Guy. I'm Sean Weiss. And as always, I want to begin by saying thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me for a little while. So this is part two of my series on using a gap analysis to create an OIG compliance program. And because this is a daily dose, and I try to keep these things to 10 to 15 minutes, but as many of you know, they sometimes wind up going 20 minutes. <laughs> um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time doing a recap on the episode from Tuesday of this week. Instead, I want to pick right up and start talking about regulatory guidance and corporate responsibility and corporate compliance. So. There are two structural questions that need to be asked when we are talking about corporate compliance programs. So the first of these questions is, does the compliance program address the significant risk or risks of the organization? And second, how are those risks determined and how are new compliance risks identified and incorporated into the program? Remember, Healthcare organizations operate in a highly regulated industry and have to address various standards, government program conditions of participation and reimbursement, and other standards applicable to corporate citizens, irrespective of our industry. Remember, a comprehensive ongoing process of compliance risk assessment is important to a board's awareness of new challenges to the organization and its evaluation of management's priorities and program resource allocation. Folks, if you are or have members of a board of directors that is doing what I refer to as an ostrich with a head in the sand mentality, you need to roll up a newspaper and swat them on the backside and get them to lift that head out of the sand. Because under the False Claims Act, which is 42 CFR 3729, it starts off by saying any person who knowingly, and remember, they also talk about reckless disregard or deliberate ignorance. So sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich and claiming stupidity or I didn't know is surely not going to be a justifiable defense. So I want to talk about some compliance considerations, right? Because as compliance officers, we try to determine when and under what circumstances to have compliance programs undergo outside review, and what the review process should look like. 
OIG guidance calls for periodic independent reviews of compliance programs. And remember, the U.S. Sentencing Commission calls for companies to evaluate periodically the effectiveness of the organization's compliance and ethics programs. Remember, this standard highlights that compliance should be checked to verify it's actually working as it was designed. So in June of 2020, the Department of Justice Criminal Division released its most updated version of evaluation of corporate compliance programs, which again, puts compliance officers on notice about what the DOJ expects to see from your compliance programs. Remember, there is a huge difference between compliance gap analysis and compliance effectiveness evaluations. And these significant differences can seen can be seen both in cost and result outcomes. So over the years, I've worked on creating different educational programs. And one of them that I created was something called the Prosecutor's Playbook. And this playbook is really a step-by-step process or a roadmap, if you will, for what prosecutors are required or should be looking at in making a determination as to the effectiveness of a corporation's compliance programs. And as a result, there are three critical questions that has that have to be asked. The first is, is the corporation's compliance program well designed? Second, is the program being applied earnestly and in good faith? So in other words, is the program adequately resourced and empowered to function effectively? And third, does the corporation's compliance program work in practice? These are three critical questions. And if you can't answer these questions honestly, effectively, and completely, then you don't have a corporate compliance program. So let's talk about a couple of these questions real quick. Is the corporation's compliance program well-designed? Well, we know that the critical factors in evaluating any program are whether the program is adequately designed for maximum effectiveness in preventing and detecting wrongdoing by employees and whether corporate management is enforcing the program or is tactically encouraging or pressuring employees to engage in misconduct. So in this situation, prosecutors should examine the comprehensiveness of the compliance program, ensuring that there is not only a clear message that misconduct is not tolerated, but also policies and procedures. Remember, from appropriate assignments of responsibility to training programs to systems of incentives and discipline, we need to ensure the compliance program is well integrated into the company's operations and workforce. So I go back to the risk assessment for just a moment because the starting point for any prosecutor's evaluation of whether a company has a well-designed compliance program is to understand the company's business from a commercial perspective. 
how the company has identified, assessed, and defined its risk profile, and the degree to which the program devotes appropriate scrutiny and resources to the spectrum of risks. In short, prosecutors need to understand why the organization has chosen to set up the compliance program the way that it has and why and how the company's compliance program has evolved over time. If it has not, then we know that we don't have a living, breathing document. We don't have a culture of compliance. We have a paperweight. All right. So remember, when we're talking about the risk assessment, we're talking about risk management process. We're talking about risk-tailored resource allocation. We're talking about updates and revisions. And we're talking about lessons learned. And that is going to drive us towards our policies and procedures. Because any well-designed compliance program entails policies and procedures that give both content and effect to ethical norms. And they address and aim to reduce risks identified by the company as part of its risk assessment process. Remember, as a threshold matter, prosecutors examine whether the company has a code of conduct that sets forth, amongst other things, the company's commitment to full compliance with relevant federal laws that are accessible and applicable to all of the organization's employees. So prosecutors also have a responsibility to assess whether the company has established policies and procedures that incorporate the culture of compliance into its day-to-day -day operations. So they're looking at things like design, comprehensiveness, accessibility, responsibility, who are the gatekeepers of the program. These are all critical aspects that a prosecutor is going to look at. The second of these questions that we talked about a moment ago is, whether the corporation's compliance program adequately has been resourced and empowered to function effectively. So even as the government acknowledges that a well-designed compliance program may be unsuccessful in practice if implementation is lax or it's under-resourced or otherwise ineffective, prosecutors by design, are instructed to probe specifically whether a compliance program is a paper program or one that is implemented, reviewed, and revised as appropriate. Remember, prosecutors have to determine whether the corporation has provided for a staff sufficient to audit document, analyze, and utilize the results of the corporation's compliance program. And further, prosecutors have to determine whether the corporation's employees are adequately informed about the compliance program and whether or not they are convinced of the corporation's commitment to it. That's where the culture of compliance comes from. Remember, 
A commitment by senior and middle management beyond compliance structures, policies, and procedures. It's critical that a organization create and foster a culture of ethics and compliance with the law at all levels of the organization. Because the effectiveness of a compliance program requires a high-level commitment by company leadership to implement a culture of compliance from the middle and the top. Now, I need you all to listen to me very carefully. So if you're listening me listening to me as you're auditing something or you're typing something, an email, you know, you're engaged in a Jersey Mike's sub that you just can't pull yourself away from for a moment, pause what you're doing and listen to me here. Because the company's top leaders, right, the board of directors or executives of your organization, these are the individuals that set the tone for the rest of the company. And as a result, prosecutors examine the extent to which senior management have clearly articulated the company's ethical standards, conveyed and disseminated them in a clear and unambiguous term or terms, and demonstrated rigorous adherence by example. Prosecutors also have to examine how middle management, in turn, have reinforced those standards and encouraged employees to abide by them. This falls under the United States Sentencing Guidelines, subsection 8B2.1, B2A through C. And what it says is, the company's governing authority shall be knowledgeable about the content and operation of the compliance and ethics program and shall exercise reasonable oversight of it. High-level personnel shall ensure that the organization has an effective compliance and ethics program. Let me say that one last time. The company's governing authority shall be knowledgeable about the content and operation of the compliance and ethics program and shall exercise reasonable oversight of it. High-level personnel shall ensure that the organization has an effective compliance and ethics program. So the government, meaning prosecutors and investigators, they're going to look at conduct at the top. They're going to look at shared commitment with middle managers. They're going to look at oversight. Folks, it doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum in an organization, whether you're at the top, the middle, or the lowest rung, compliance applies to every single person in the organization. If you're a compliance officer, you need to be able to demonstrate that you have autonomy and that you have sufficient resources because prosecutors are going to evaluate the compliance program and its structure. They're going to address the sufficiency of the personnel and resources within the compliance function. And they're going to look and make determinations as to whether those responsible for compliance have sufficient seniority within the organization, sufficient resources, meaning staff to effectively undertake the requisite auditing, documentation, and analysis, and sufficient autonomy from management to be able to direct their concerns 
without being impeded to the board of directors or the board's audit committee. The last of the three questions that I want to address is, does the corporation's compliance program work in practice? So what that means is <clears throat> the principles of federal prosecution of business organizations require prosecutors to assess the adequacy and effectiveness of the corporation's compliance program at the time of the offense. But, but they have to also look at it at the time of a charging decision. Because due to the backward-looking nature of the first inquiry, one of the most difficult questions prosecutors have to answer in evaluating a compliance program following misconduct is whether the program was working effectively at the time of the offense, especially where the misconduct was not immediately detected. Because in order for this question to be answered effectively, it's important to understand that the existence of misconduct does not, does not mean that a compliance program did not work or was ineffective at the time of the offense. Again, this is found under the United States Sentencing Guidelines, subsection 8B2.1A. And it specifically says, the failure to prevent or detect the instant offense does not mean that the program is not generally effective in preventing and deterring misconduct. Prosecutors also have to assess whether a company's compliance program was effective at the time of the misconduct. And here, prosecutors are encouraged to consider whether and how the misconduct was detected, what investigation resources were in place to investigate suspected misconduct, and the nature and thoroughness of the company's remedial efforts. So in order for a prosecutor to determine whether a company's compliance program is working effectively at the time of a charging decision, they have to consider whether the program evolved over time to address existing and changing compliance risks, right? So prosecutors have to consider whether the company undertook an adequate and honest root cause analysis to understand both what contributed to the misconduct and the degree of remediation needed to prevent similar events in the future. As an example, prosecutors have to consider, among other things, whether the corporation has made significant investment in and improvements to its corporate compliance program and internal control systems, and whether remedial improvements to the compliance program and internal controls have been tested to demonstrate that they would prevent or detect similar misconduct in the future. The last part of this daily dish that I want to talk about is the investigation, the actual investigation of misconduct. Because an effective investigation structure will have an established means of documenting the company's response, including any disciplinary or remedial measures that were taken. Remember, properly scoped investigation by qualified personnel is critical. They want to look at how the company ensured 
that the investigation has been properly scoped and that it was done independently, objectively, appropriately, and that we have properly documented everything. And then they want to look at our response to investigations. Have the company's investigations been used to identify root causes, system vulnerabilities, and accountability lapses, including among supervisory managers and senior executives? What has been the process for responding to investigative findings? How high up in the company do investigative findings actually go? All right. So I think we have covered in depth the critical aspect of a gap analysis, a risk assessment, and then really kind of looking at things from a prosecutor's mindset and some of the things that they are required to look at or should look at and the processes that they go through prior to making a charging decision. All right, that's going to bring us to the end of this daily dose on the compliance guy. As always, I want to say thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me for a little while as I get to talk about compliance. All right, we'll be back next week on Monday with an all-new Compliance and Coding Roundtable. The whole crew is finally back together. I'm excited for our topics that we're going to be bringing to you. So remember, until then, be good to yourself. But more importantly, y'all be good to each other. Take care. You've been listening to The Compliance Guy. Sean has been doing this for 28 years. He holds 10 national board certifications. He's a partner and the vice president of compliance for Doctors Management, LLC. He's a subject matter expert in federal court. He's lectured at the most prestigious institutions. He's engaged with members of Congress in both chambers. So what we're saying is he's qualified? We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can find us on social media at The Compliance Guy. See you next time on The Compliance Guy.